never, never, and never again shall it be that this beautiful land will again experience the oppression of one by another. SAFM Midday Live is broadcasting live from the 20th anniversary on the Conference of Human Rights Commission at Midrand's Gallagher Estates today. It's an important milestone for the Commission and a time for reflection on its successes, failures and ongoing challenges. You are exposed to an environment which challenges every part of your thinking. You find yourself going, huh, can I reconcile this with my own thoughts or my own beliefs? We must learn from the past to prioritize things that are closer to the heart of the people. Why, why can't we prioritize those ones? This afternoon you'll get to hear from more people like these who work behind the scenes at the Commission about what it takes to do the job. My guest for this hour is the CEO of the Steve Biko Foundation, Obinewa Mponsa, is joining us for a discussion on how can we as a society restore the dignity for all who live in South Africa. Write to us on our question on 34701, that's your SMS hotline. It costs you one rand per SMS. Find us on Twitter this afternoon at SAFM Midday Live. I'm tweeting at Darshan Mudley. The best way of uh, understanding the mandate of the Commission is you have a grand promise in terms of the Constitution. You have a social contract between the state and citizens. And our responsibility as a Chapter 9 institution is to ensure that the state delivers on its promise. One of the uh, first cases that we dealt with was uh, in relation to the unenclosed toilets in the Western Cape and then the unenclosed toilets in the Free State. And uh, taking up those complaints was wildly unpopular. You are exposed to an environment which challenges every part of your thinking. Um, and you, you find yourself going, huh, can I reconcile this with my own thoughts or my own beliefs? Court work and civil matters I enjoyed, but not as much as actually making a difference in the lives of people that don't have um, the means to get to an attorney to assist them. Here we are about improving the lives of people through ensuring that everyone's rights are respected and in line with the vision of the institution whereby we want to restore dignity and, and, and really transform our society. Anyone can complain to us, we'll look objectively at, at the complaint and we like to hear both sides of the stories. We must learn from the past to prioritize things that are closer to the heart of the people. And to me, anybody wants to invest in the future must do so on children because our future is on children. You go to the rural areas, the schools there, you know, mad schools, everything is still as bad. Why, why can't we prioritize those ones? These are just some of the people that work at the Human Rights Commission that were interviewed for a documentary to mark its 20th anniversary. It's called Dignity Restored, and it starts with this reminder. After centuries of struggle for freedom, the new democratic constitution provided for the establishment of an independent human rights commission. Its job is this, threefold. Firstly, to protect, then to promote and monitor human rights for all who live in South Africa. So today we ask you to write to us on 34701 at SAFM Midday Live 
or at Darshan Mudli and answer this question for us. How can dignity be restored for all who live in South Africa? You're welcome to comment and we'll read out those SMSs live on air. I'm also joined by guests on the show today. One of them is our guest for this hour, the CEO of the Steve Beaker Foundation, Obanewa Mpansa. Thanks so much for joining us, Obanewa. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here this afternoon. And, and we do have Lawrence Mishwane, who's the current chair. And Obanewa, I just wanted to start with you with one brief question. You know, on your LinkedIn profile, it says this is one of your causes that you care about. That's human rights. Yes. Where did that love come from? I think it comes from an understanding of history and the way in which other human rights and civil rights activists made my life possible. The reality is, as a black African woman, um, 30 years ago, I could not be the CEO of an institution. I could not be sitting here with you. Um, I couldn't have the freedom of movement that I have today. And so I believe personally my responsibility is to also pave the way for future generations. Well, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been in the seat. I wouldn't have been allowed in it either. Lawrence Mishwana, the current chairperson of the Human Rights Commission, you wouldn't have this job 20 years ago if it wasn't for this independence that we, that we fought so, so hard for. Of course, there was not even a Human Rights Commission or a Chapter 9 institution to start with. Mm, I mean, I think, <coughs> I think it's interesting. We heard you actually in that, that last clip that we played where you said the reason you do this is for the children of South Africa, the future generations, and we want to establish this legacy for freedom for them. But, but I look around in this venue and I don't see any of those children that you speak so dearly of. I also don't see many women represented on, on the Human Rights Commission's agenda. Would, would you like to maybe explain why? Uh, the first thing is to uh, consider that our main theme for this conference was to specifically look at racism. Not that uh, we disregard all other rights, but... Uh, I've indicated in my opening speech that uh, since the beginning of this year, you, you would have noticed an increase on racism matters. And as a Human Rights Commission, during the Human Rights Month, we tend to capitalize on what, what is the main issue, uh, what is the discourse in the country. And that's why we decided to make the theme racism to be at the forefront but we also consider other rights. That's why we speak about women. You, 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 if you listen to commissioners discussing, you'll hear one talking about land, the other one talking about children. Uh, it did not mean that in one conference we we're going to be able to talk about each and every right, but we thought what is uh, at the forefront as we speak now is, is racism. I mean, it's important about who speaks about these things at the same time, right? Yes. The, the, the SADC protocol on gender said that by 2015, we'd like to see private and public institutions have 50% representation of women, of gender representation in our organizations. I, I, I wonder how closely we're reaching that here during this conference on racism. Well, well uh, as we, we did not take that uh, into finer detail, I mean, if we wanted to detail that, it would, it would have mean uh, we should uh, uh, invite, uh, for instance, uh, gender activists uh, mainly. But uh, as we are going to the main conference, I'm not sure how that uh, will become a picture, but uh, from what the president has said, is that uh, even that one, they are going to concentrate a lot on, on, on racism. But the question is that uh, uh, as we celebrate human rights, it is an opportunity to look back on how far have we moved in terms of 
women's rights, children's rights, and to think of what do we do moving forward uh, in cases where we have not done very good, very well. Mm. Maybe that was not an item in our conference. Of the three priorities of the Human Rights Commission, that to protect, to promote, and monitor human rights, which you, which would you, how would you rank them? What would you put at the top? Oh, you can't. <laughs> you can't. Uh, just like uh, human rights is indivisible, it's sometimes very difficult to say, look, this is the best one, because you need all of those. You need people to know that if my right is violated, there will be somebody who will restore my dignity, who will, will correct that. So you, you can't put one before the other. It depends on the practical case you are handling at any particular time. Well, if you had to rate the Human Rights Commission and its ability to do that work, uh, how, what, what, what mark would you give it? If it was a, a metric exam, what percent would you, would you give yourself on this? Well, it's very difficult <laughs> to judge yourself because you always want to say... Well, that's I'm, why we've got Adelis here as well, I'm, so I'm, 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 I'm going to put it to I'm up and <laughs> But what would you say? But uh, as, as a Human Rights Commission, I always want to judge myself. I'm, I'm average. I'm not below average. I'm average and then always fighting to, to do the best. Uh, Abedeva, how would you assess the Human Rights Commission? I mean, it's a difficult job and you can hear it's, it's a tough three-pillar uh, you know, model for what it's meant to achieve. Yes. I mean, if I had to assess the Human Rights Commission on a scale of one to ten, one being terrible, ten being magnificent, I would say seven, average. Um, they have an unenviable job. We have to remember that South Africa is coming from a context literally in which the economy, the judiciary, education, every structure in society was meant to deny the majority of the population human rights. And so to try to move that forward in 20 years is a very serious um, undertaking. I think the Human Rights Commission should be proud of much of what it's accomplished, but I still think that they're um, is more that the institution can do and more that we can do as society, really to create the, the society envisaged in the Constitution. So what would be that more? Well, I think the reality is that we all need to be human rights commissioners, right? We, the truth is that a lot of what happens around human rights violations, it doesn't start with someone knocking down a pizza delivery guy because he's black. That driver has been saying racist things for a long time, whether it's at a bri, whether it's work. He's been treating most likely his domestic worker at home in a particular way. Um, we need to begin to deal with those manifestations as a society wherever we encounter them. I was telling you earlier that um, I was in a meeting uh, last week in the offices of the Steve Biko Foundation, and I was describing a challenge we're having with one of our projects in the Eastern Cape. And someone said to me, well, they're close to people. What do you expect? You're sitting in the Steve Biko Foundation. Steve Biko himself was a closer man, and this is the analysis. And so at that point, you have an option. Do I stop the meeting and address this, or do I try to paper over it, get through it, and then go back to my corner and say, can you believe what she said? Instead, we stopped. And the question was, well, what do you mean by that? And to drill down. And I think that's one small example of the things that we need to do. We need to begin to challenge racism wherever we find it, to challenge human rights violations wherever we find it, um, so that we can have fewer cases that get to the level of the pizza delivery man. But I think one thing that would be important for the commission to take into account is this notion of intersectionality. Um, I heard what the chair was saying when you asked the question about the underrepresentation of women and children here today. 
Um, and while on the one hand, I think sometimes when we talk about gender, we see it as a quote-unquote woman's issue. Mm. But the, it, the reality is, how do we mainstream all of human rights so that we understand whether or not we have the designation as a children's activist or um, a gender activist, that those things need to be part and parcel of every conversation we're having. So while we're focusing on racism today, are we looking at the ways in which racism explicitly affects black women and the ways that it explicitly affects children the environment and the like. And so I think our paradigm needs to shift from being one of silos to really being one where we look at issues in tandem together. Mm. Uh, our question for you at home, if you are listening in, it's 17 minutes after 12 and you are listening to SAFM Midday Live. We're asking you, how can dignity be restored for all who live in South Africa? And that's the big challenge that faces the Human Rights Commission. But, uh, Lawrence, I'd like to pick up on, on yes. what Obenewa had to say. I mean, c- can we be activists in our own spaces, in our homes, when we are at a braai and someone says, oh, you speak such good English to, to another black South African? I mean, there's something inherently racist in in that assertion or that assumption that a black South African wouldn't speak great English. Yeah, uh, not, not, not necessarily that uh, we need to judge everything in terms of race or what. If we have listened to uh, former President Baker this morning talking about, you know, when Penesparo made the remarks that she made, it was as if racism was just coming to South Africa for the first time. But the point is that it is there, we live with it uh, every day. And the question is, how do we address it? But the point that we are mentioning that uh, we must address it as and when it ha- happens everywhere. And uh, what we are trying to do is to conscientize everybody to be conscious. We know that as a country, we cannot have uh, eradicated racism you know, completely. Uh, knowing that in other countries, in Europe, in America, it, it still happens. But that, that, that must never make us relax to say, no, look, we still have a long way to go. But that should be, remain a constant reminder that we need to deal with racism everywhere where we meet it. And we must educate our children uh, in school. Like um, if you listen to the, president's, uh, uh, the presentation this morning to say, look, we must move forward in our education in school. We must consciously make sure that we, what we teach our children also conscientizes them at the workplace. In, in the institution, in government, you find that, for instance, in places where you, you never uh, have thought you will have uh, racism at universities, you will think that students, because of the education they are, uh, they, they, are, they are getting, you won't find racism. They will react to it. Unfortunately, what has happened is that they, they continued to, to swallow, to not to talk about it until now when now it really shows that no, this thing is not going to an end. Then you began to have all of this. What about within the Human Rights Commission? Are you having a vibrant debate among commissioners, among members about racism? Well, uh, not, not really. No, no, not sitting really because you... Everybody is trying to be smart about it. You know, you, you 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 don't get it. You want to see it, but it's like asking, uh, where where were you in the apartheid time? You won't find somebody that uh, I belong to the apartheid era. You, you you don't meet them. So as commissioners ourselves, we try to demonstrate to our staff who are ordinary uh, members of the public 
to serve as an example and so that we we tried to exclude we try to exclude it so it's not always uh, you can't pick it up amongst ourselves uh, we, 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 we try not to discriminate even if there are some who, who, who might have wanted it to be but we must remember one of the election criteria they say we must be representative, broad representative. In other words, you, we, we are non-partisan, but we must represent differences in the country, be black from whatever country, what you believe in, so that you have a mixture of, uh, of uh, individuals in, in one commission. And that in itself tells you that we consciously know that we cannot think the same. I mean, when we have to take the decisions, for instance, when there has been an investigation, you can actually see that we, we differ in terms of our pros and what we want to recommend. Advocate Lawrence Mishwana, thank you so much for joining us uh, during SAFM Midday Live. We appreciate your comments today. That's the chairperson of the Human Rights Commission. You're welcome to comment on our show, 34701 at SAFM Midday Live, and you'll find me at Darshan Mudli. One of my favorite comments from the documentary that's been produced on the 20th anniversary of the Human Rights Commission comes from Bonnie Petiana. He's the former chairperson of the Human Rights Commission. Take a listen. We were a mixture of people. And that's what made the Commission truly exciting place to work in, is that we acknowledged that we came from different uh, sources and different backgrounds, were shaped by different aspects of the history, social and political history of our country, and we were not, um, we were not uniform in the way we thought. And that was uh, Bani Petiana, the former chairperson of the Human Rights Commission. And really, that, that's what makes it w- great to work on a team like SFM Midday Live. We all come from diverse backgrounds. We're from diverse places around the country, and we've lived through different experiences. But how do we come together and produce a show that's for a national audience like you? We'd love to hear your comments on the show, 34701 at SFM Midday Live. You'll find me at Dosh and Mudley. Johnny Musa has written in saying, the land has got to return. That's how we restored the dignity for all, for all who live in South Africa. This came in unsigned, saying certain religious texts are full of racism and hate speech. We need to deal with that first. Rory says it's very sad truth that you can legislate against racist behavior, but not racist attitudes. We'll read out more of your SMSs shortly. But joining me now at uh, the 20th anniversary of the Human Rights Commission is Professor Leon Vessels. He's a former Human Rights Commissioner appointed back in 1999 and served until 2009. Professor, thank you so much for your time. Good afternoon. Good day. Well, we just heard from Bani Petiana, who was uh, the former commissioner and, and former chairperson of the Human Rights Commission, and said at that time it was a difficult job for him to bring people together from diverse backgrounds who had differing priorities to agree on, on what would be the mandate and the focus for the Human Rights Commission. What was that time like for you? It was extremely difficult for Bani in particular. I can recall and an interview we had with somebody had called him where he had called somebody a racist and somebody uh, the person he had called a racist uh, had never imagined that anybody would ever call him a racist uh, because of his uh, struggle credentials and uh, his liberal views it was difficult uh, but it was extremely exciting And it was exciting because on the one hand we were grappling with the past but we were building the future. 
And within the ranks of the Human Rights Commission, the debates were pretty fierce. But we all knew that what bound us together was the Constitution. And it was the Constitution that would be our lodestar as we moved forward. It was a very exciting and a very rewarding period in my life. How, how did you ultimately agree on what those priorities would be? No, uh, look, the priorities of, of South Africa is obvious. Uh, it's obvious in the sense that we're dealing with this uh, um, an unequal society. And it's unequal because of the economics uh, of it. And that's why those provisions are in the Constitution as they are. And that was part of the Human Rights Commission's mandate to, to have a look at them and report on them. Secondly, it was difficult not to acknowledge what we saw. We saw those inequalities and we experienced uh, the racial prejudices. So that made it reasonably difficult for us to agree on that. What was, what was challenging was how do we do what we had to do within our limited budget and time constraints we had. And, and then when the prioritization comes into play, that was when the debate started. How, how did you get drawn into the Human Rights Commission? Well, uh, I, I was simply... Uh, uh, Invited, uh, but I guess uh, I, I was uh, invited uh, to to apply for the job because I was the deputy chairperson of the Constitutional Assembly and I was part of the negotiations of the 90s. And Barney Pijana in particular, when I was being interviewed, made it clear that he wanted an Afrikaner on the Human Rights Commission. And, and through my 10 years career, uh, some of the commissioners and I worked so closely because we understood whenever we went into a particular situation, a particular inquiry, the audience had to understand that there would be someone, when they look up, who would uh, understand their plight. Panzik Lakula in particular and I traveled the length and breadth of, the, of this country and we did a number and a number of inquiries into racism, initiation practices uh, in our country, etc. And Barney and I also did a lot of traveling uh, together. And so did Jody Colopin and I into farming inquiries. So what we wanted to do, we wanted to present the face of South Africa when we interacted with him. I remember one occasion Barney asked me to go to Urania in the Northern Cape and I said, Barney, but you don't understand. Uh, we had quarrels uh, at, at uh, Kempton Park during the Codessa negotiations and if we had continued those discussions with right-wingers, in particular the, the ones that stormed uh, the Codessa premises uh, under AWB banners and so forth, we would still be at Codessa, we would still not have had a, uh, a constitution and Barney said no. You don't have a choice in this. You have to go to Irana. You have to present them the face of the Human Rights Commission. On another occasion, I was deployed to meet with very disgruntled uh, workers. Uh, and they called Barney and they said to Barney, but how can you redeploy this fellow 
to come and speak with us. And Barney said to them now, and they demanded that he should stop my intervention. And they said, Barney had two responses. He said, first of all, I can't stop him. He's already on a plane. And secondly, I can't choose between my, constit uh, by, between my commissioners because they have all taken an oath of allegiance to the Constitution. And that is the reason why you deal with him or you will not have a commissioner there. And I think by the time I had arrived, uh, they were pretty calm and we got on extremely well because... Uh, as you worked in the Constitution, you managed to master the art of listening to people. And, and, and simply by listening to people, it takes you forward on a very, very long journey. And once you've listened to everybody and you have the Constitution as, as, as the, the body of law that gives you direction, uh, you can advise. I've had wonderful examples and wonderful experiences that I've shared with people here yesterday, uh, but I will not bore you with them now. <laughs> Professor Leon Vessels, it wouldn't be boring, and I'd wish we had more time to engage with you, but, but thank you so much for making available your time and your thoughts. Professor Leon Vessels is a former Human Rights Commissioner and appointed from 1999 until 2009. Thank you so much for your time. It's approaching, you to you. It's approaching 12.30, and we will be listening to you at home as well. Your SMSs are still coming through and your tweets. We'll read those out shortly for our listeners. It's 12.30 now. Your news headlines are with Thanks, Darshan. Good afternoon. Government says it may take the Supreme Court ruling on Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir to the Constitutional Court. It was reacting to the SCA's dismissal of government's appeal against the High Court in Pretoria, which ruled that al-Bashir should have been arrested when he attended the AU summit in Johannesburg in June last year. The South African Institute of Race Relations has condemned acts of racism around the country. This after a video showing a pizza delivery man's scooter being intentionally bumped by an alleged racist at an intersection in Port Elizabeth's Cape Road. And the head of the central bank in Bangladesh has resigned after hackers stole more than $100 million from the country's foreign currency reserves. A full bulletin at 1 o'clock. And coming up at one, Shadow Twala's on the airwaves with Otherwise, and she joins us on the line now. Hi, Shadow. Hi, Dashan. Uh, the question today is how can we create a community that doesn't tolerate violence against women and girls of any kind? India Baird, who is the founder of Rock Girl Empowerment Organization for Teenage Girls, tries and gives us some suggestions. And From Maleness to Manhood and Marriage is a book by SSS Nkshumu. We ask him how to share ideas of how women's empowerment has influenced the behavior of the conventional man, if at all. That's the show. The day just keeps getting better and better. Midday Live with Darshan Mudli on SAFM. In the latest development, a video recording in possession of the SABC shows a well-orchestrated mock demonstration of what some white students believe the integration process to be. In one of the incidents, a white student is seen urinating in a bowl of food prepared for five black workers who throughout filming have been the object of what appears to be a prejudicial filming. Meanwhile, University of Free State Rector Frederick Forrest says the university is investigating the denigrating video filmed on campus. Forrest says some of the students in the video have been identified and a disciplinary process has started. 
We're not a place for racism. We don't want this to be a place for racism. And people who take part in such actions are not welcome. We don't want them on this campus. For me, it's a very bad experience. And, and I agree with you. It reflects some of the attitudes that one finds in our society and which is also on this campus. And that's why we started the integration process, because we want to create a new culture on the campus based on respect and human dignity and human rights. Workers who appear in the video say they were not aware that they were being humiliated. <laughs> we are hurt. These students, every time when they leave for school holidays, they leave food for us from their fridge and on tables. I wonder how long they have been doing this evil thing. I have been working here at the university for the past 30 years, receiving food from them. And that was uh, one of the infamous Rates 4 video that was screened during court proceedings in Bloemfontein. And it renewed the disgust at university students who filmed it. Those four university students pleaded guilty to and were convicted on charges of criminal injuria. They were accused of duping cleaning staff at their residence to eat food which had been urinated on as part of a fear factor challenge which was filmed as part of the residence's initiation process. Today we're coming to you live from Gallagher Estates in Midrand as we bring you this broadcast on the 20th anniversary of the Human Rights Commission as they talk about racism today but also look back at their past successes, some of their failings and even the challenges that they face going into the future. 34701 is your SMS hotline. You can find us on Twitter at SAFM Midday Live. I'm at Darshan Mudley. More tweets and SMSs coming through. This is unsigned. It says, Lawrence Mushwana was useless at the, as public protector and no better as uh, the South African Human Rights Chair. Uh, this came in unsigned. It said, human rights are deliberately perverted and human rights activists are suppressed. Remember that even Chapter 9 institutions are indirect human rights activists. And this came in from Granny Rita, who writes in saying, dignity can be restored when arrogance goes out the window and people treat each other as made in the images of God. That's Granny Rita writing in. You're welcome to do the same. Our question for you today, how can dignity be restored for all who live in South Africa? 34701 at SAFM Midday Live and you'll find me at Darshan Mudley. Joining me in studio is the Steve Biko Foundation CEO. Abinewa, thank you once again for joining us in this hour. We do appreciate it. And I must say, we've also been joined now by Advocate Pansit Lakula, who's joining us as the chairperson of the African Commission on Human and People's Rights. Ma'am, thank you so much for your time, and good afternoon. Good afternoon, and thank you for inviting me. And, and I'd love to start with this question for you, because you're one of the few and rare female faces that's at this event. And I put this question to Lawrence Mushwan, the chairperson of the Human Rights Commission, when we started the show saying we talk so much about gender representation, we talk about the static protocol on gender, which called for 50% representation of women in public and private spaces like these. Why are we seeing that lack of female voices, female faces, and the lack of children who are supposed to inherit this democracy that we, want, that we, that we pride ourselves on? I think there are many qualified women out there in South Africa. If we look and we look deliberately, we'll find them. And the second question that you have raised is even more important because some of us have been uh, there for a long time. We have to begin to hand over to young people. And it is regrettable that at this conference there are very few young people. I think all of us as leaders, we have to make a conscious decision 
to ensure that in all fora we have young people, even on the program, not just to attend, to also articulate, for instance, as people who were born after apartheid, how and whether they experience racism because uh, some of us uh, lived with us all our lives and the voices of young people in this very topic is very important. Mm. I know we were revisiting this from earlier on, but, yes. but have you had any time to think and, and ruminate with some of these ideas? I, I have, and I think a couple of things have come up that are very important. Um, as the advocate just said, this issue of um, intergenerational dialogue is extremely important. Um, when the chairperson was here earlier, he mentioned the fact that, you know, they were surprised that students are having these issues on campus and they've been suffering silently and now they're speaking up. That's not true. Students have been speaking for years. It's only when they take to the streets in mass that now people want to listen. So I think there's an issue maybe around human rights of being tone deaf and not wanting to hear things that are some of the inconvenient truths. I also think one of the things we have to recognize about human rights is that they're not static. It's that they change. Our understanding of human rights, of racism, changes as time changes. And so we need to remain in constant dialogue um, with one another to understand what the focus area should be, what type of society we want to build. But then I think the final thing from the last segment that really stood out to me um, with uh, Professor Vessels is even his own experience. I mean, your listeners were introduced to him as a Human Rights Commission chair, a former commissioner, but what they might not realize is that he actually used to be part of the National Party government. Mm -hmm. He was the Deputy Law and Order Minister. And one of my favorite quotes from him is when he says, I do not believe the political defense of I did not know is available to me because in many respects I believe I did not want to know. The only way that he could become a framer of the Constitution, he could become a commissioner and continue to do this work is because he located himself as part of the problem and was contrite about his role in the problem and then set about saying, what do I do to fix that? And I think the reality is too many South Africans simply said, oh, Bishop Tutu had his thing, the TRC, it's over, it's done, let's all move forward. Instead, have we all really located ourselves as part of the problem? And have we said, I can't undo the past, but this is what I can do moving forward, really as an act of restitution? And, and Advocate, that's a great point. I mean, I, I, Professor Vessels was also reiterating this, that we need to listen a little bit better to each other. And you know, one of my favorite quotes comes from Arundhati Roy, who says, there are, there are no voiceless people in, in, in South Africa or in society. You know, we often talk about the voice of the voiceless and how journalism is trying to bring that voiceless out. They're not voiceless. They're deliberately silenced or deliberately ignored in many cases. Are, are we listening properly? I think we're listening half-heartedly because if we were listening, we would have um, been aware that uh, when I was still a member of the South African Human Rights Commission and I'm talking many, many years ago in, in the 90s, that uh, we did uh, an investigation into racism in um, uh, universities, uh, university residences in particular. And one of the issues that came up at that time is that black students who lived in university residences were supposed to uh, salute a statue of a white person. And that led to all sorts of conflict at universities. And I'm talking at that time, Rao University, Pochestrum University, as they were then called, Stellenbosch was part of the problem. Twenty years later, we now have Roads Must Fall. The origin of Roads Must Fall 
comes from that time when black students were being uh, inducted, so-called inducted at white university residences, and they were supposed to salute the statues. So we're not listening, because if we listened at that time, we'd have done away with those statues. We didn't. The students had to take to the streets to actually uh, remove those statues um, forcefully. And, and what do you think about the violence? You know, many people think that you know, protests are supposed to be very respectable, they're supposed to be peaceful, non-violent, but why should someone suffering be peaceful and respectable? Should, should it not be revolutionary and, and get our interests? Yes, we can be revolutionary without being um, violent because we advocate for peaceful assembly and that's what we should respect. Advocate Pansit Lakula, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time today. Advocate Pansit Lakula is the chairperson of the Commission on Human and People's Rights. It's approaching 20 to 1. 105.1, the home of SAFM in Johannesburg. Johannesburg. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. When we started the Costa Lago Boucher legacy, it was but a mere dream. But now here we are, protecting what's ours. From every corner, our aim is to DNA profile every rhino in South Africa to help law enforcement agencies protect this endangered species. Join hands with us. Visit castlelogger.co.za for more info. It all comes together with the castle. Enjoy responsibly, not for sale to persons under the age of 18. This initiative is supported by the SABC Foundation. Please slow down. I'm tired. I just want to get home already. Honey, there's a truck coming this way. Overtaking on a barrier line is a road crime. Overtake only when it's safe to do so. Speeding will put yours and other road users' lives in danger. Obey the rules of the road. Report unsafe road usage. Call 0861-400-800. Brought to you by the Road Traffic Management Corporation and the Department of Transport. Hi, I'm Jeannie D. I'm Bonang Mateba. And I'm Bonnie Bully. And welcome to our apartment. As we take you on a journey of self-expression. We do it stylishly. We do it lavishly. From food, fashion to DIY. From live performances to inspiring stories. This is your time. Express your curiosity. Express your boldness. Express yourself with Afternoon Express weekdays at 4 p.m. Find us on 3. Midday Live with Darshan Mukhi. Midday Live. Easing you into your afternoon on SAFN. The enemies was coming to our house. They mind my in Yassi. So they hit my father-in-law. They raped me. I need your help. And that was Inyonkuru Tatu Rutariza, who is a refugee and was a victim of the xenophobic attacks in South Africa during 2008. Patricia Erasmus from the Lawyers for Human Rights works to protect the rights of refugees. The Human Rights Commission was quite vocal about in 2008 and they analysed the causes of violence and xenophobic tensions and they brought out a report in 2010 and had the government read that report and absorbed the meaning of it and implemented some of those strategies, then perhaps we wouldn't have seen a flare-up in 2015 on the same scale. 
Patricia Erasmus from the Lawyers for Human Rights. 34701 at SAFM Midday Live. You can find me at Darshan Mudley. Some of the SMSs that have come in, uh, more unsigned SMSs. Why are you keeping your name from us? Uh, this says, is the commission in any way concerned with the Oranya uh, situation? This is this says, from school grade 8 should be a subject called comparative religions to teach us tolerance. This says, our politicians have been made millionaires overnight by the same former oppressors and the majority black poor are being left out. Dumasani in East London, thank you for sending your name, says, improve the lives of black people, give them work and not grants. I can give the Human Rights Commission three out of ten. Honestly, they're not doing well. Our question to you today, how do we restore the dignity of all who live in South Africa? Joining me in studio here, well, it's not quite a studio, we're in the lobby of uh, the Gallagher Estate, and I should tell you we're sitting on a couch, myself and Obanewa, it's a, it's a unique studio situation, but it does mean that we can catch all the famous faces that we never get to see, but we often get to hear on our show. Head of Legal Services, uh, joining us from the Human Rights Commission, is Pandelis Gregore. Is that right, Brentus? It's Pandeli without the S Pandeli. and it's Gregory Yu. Gregory Yu, Pandeli. Yeah. So w- what do you do at the Human Rights Commission? Help us understand your job. So I'm the head of legal services at the commission. Um, we have quite a number of operational units at the commission. I think we've spent um, quite a significant portion of yesterday sort of reflecting on the work of the commission. One of the key components of our work is the protection mandate of the institution. And as the head of legal services, I oversee the work of my colleagues in all the provincial offices in terms of how they execute that mandate. Is that a tough job? It's a significantly tough job. Um, The challenges are, one, at a very operational level. Um, The mandate is quite extensive. Uh, The funding is not as it should be. So we try to do the best that we can in terms of executing that mandate. We have ways in which we we try to do that um, as effectively and as efficiently as possible. Um, But I think uh, the benefit that I have and the position that I do hold is I manage to engage quite actively with my commissioners who provide that strategic direction. And hopefully when they've done so, it puts us then in a position to identify what we should be focusing on and how we can try and make a difference with that capacity constraints that we have. Mm. I mean, ultimately, you know, when you work on these programs, you produce reports, do they get read by the people that, that need to read them? I mean, we just heard about the xenophobic riots yeah. in 2008. And the, the lawyers for human rights say, if government had only read the report that the Human Rights Commission had produced, we may have not seen that resurgence, Although, and we put that in inverted commas because some of that violence may have already been there on the ground, but in 2015 we then saw it back again on, on news headlines. Uh, you know, is anyone even paying attention to what you do, I guess is the question, Pandeli. Now you echo a very important concern, right? And I think that's a concern that I think some of us at the institution share, right? We don't produce reports for the benefit of making a glossy version of a report and once it's done and it's launched, it can sit in a cabinet, collect dust, right? I think that's the biggest fear that we have. We want to be able to make use of those reports so that we can see a difference at the end of the day. When And acknowledging the fact that it may have been in the past, a, a reality of the past where we produce reports and we haven't engaged actively, I think there was a concerted effort now undertaken by sort of a recent group of individuals at the Commission to say we need to reflect on all these reports that we produced and go through a process of engaging with the relevant portfolio committees, stakeholders, and say, you know, have we seen a difference? Sometimes it's, it's quite stark where you, you have a report that said as the xenophobia report did, certain things should happen. 
and they didn't and we see the the, the quite tragic um, results um, the recent results but what it has done for us is is it's given us a little bit more leverage to engage to say you know we've produced reports you now have to be held accountable for not doing something the commission plays a very important role and i think this is a, a very good comparator right like Parliament, we can actually hold the executive accountable. How do we do it? Is we present these reports to portfolio committees and relevant portfolio committees. Now, like you said, when we give them to the portfolio committees, we do presentations, we express our concerns, we've made findings and recommendations. It's incumbent upon us now to not just sit and expect Parliament to do the necessary. I think it's now expected of us to say, well, now that we've given it to you, we will also engage in terms of monitoring the implementation of those findings and recommendations. Not an easy task. Um, again, I'd wish I'd have a lot more capacity and resources to be able to do it, but you know, I think it's a, we have made that decision. I think that's something that we're going to look quite proactively at. Uh, Abinewa, I think you'd like to engage on this because we were chatting about the breaking news that yes. came in just a couple of minutes ago and, and Pantali, I'm sure you'd be interested in this as a lawyer. Okay. The Supreme Court of Appeal has just ruled on the Al-Bashir case, ruling that government was wrong not to arrest him when he was visiting the country and that we had flouted our own constitutional obligations. But here's another example. What happens after that? Where's the implementation? Who's going to be held accountable? Well, I think one of the difficulties is that we haven't necessarily shared these things with the public in a way that makes it relevant. So we're sitting here, it's about one o'clock. There are many parents who are dashing out at lunchtime to take their kids, drop them off at home. They're worried about homework, groceries, etc., etc. They hear al-Bashir. They think of a guy in Sudan. They don't understand how that links to the protection and promotion of their human rights here at home. How flouting human rights in one instance can speak to flouting human rights in other instances, right? And so I think we have to do a better job, whether it's around things like Bashir, whether it's around reports on xenophobia, of quote-unquote translating things so that it really speaks to the average everyday person. And I think one of the other things that we need to do is to take human rights issues beyond the ambit of portfolio committees and the like. Clearly, that's a great and critical starting point. But again, do people understand that human rights, it's not just something that's off to the side. It speaks to abilities to access education, jobs, etc. How do we create a variety of products, so to speak, from these reports? So it's not just the glossy manual that you mentioned earlier. It's also the comic book that explains to a young person what this is. It's the social media campaign mm. that explains to a young person. And one of the things that I'm happy to see is that the anti-racism network is here. And you'll know it's a coalition of dozens of organizations that are looking to do something around racism. And so I think the question then is how do we do that around human rights in general? Mm. I mean, uh, Pantali, before we let you go, there's an important question here from Bert, and I think it echoes what, what Obanewa is saying, because we, we need to know how to engage in this democracy, right. right? So Bert in Durban is asking, where can I find the definition of racism in South Africa? It seems we get, we get to use this for many different incidents, perhaps at the beginning of each discussion this definition needs to be repeated where do you get that definition from so i have the benefit of just having <laughs> left the session when you invited me to come through and, and uh, we have a former constitutional court judge who is literally sitting there having this discussion with um the audience right and trying to sort of unpack what racism is right so i think the the easiest way to to maybe make it a little bit more um and also maybe expressing a bit of advocacy in terms of trying to express how we do our job, right? But there is, I think there's a bit of a distinction between racist conduct, and that's just like, you know, the physical expression of racism, 
whereas racism is a frame of reference. It's, it's, it's your mentality. It's how you think, right? Now, what they were deliberating inside is, is the concerning notion that, you know, is it something that you can identify very easily? So is it a black versus white thing? I think that's very artificial, right? I think that if we're honest with each other, it's, it's, it's how we treat each other as individuals, whether it includes, and it should include, a wide variety beyond just pure black and white. And right? it includes power and privilege as key components. Precisely. So it can't be, it can't go down to just a basic, you know, this is the definition, four corners, and you will always be able to define it as such. Pandeli Gregrau. Gregory U. Gregory U. Thank you very much for joining us. Head of Legal Services from the Human Rights Commission. We appreciate your time today. Now, the former President Thabo Mbeki has uh, just addressed the Human Rights Commission's conference on racism today. It's underway here in Midrand at Gallagher Estate. And he's called for the criminalization of racism and hate speech. And you may remember yesterday, the uh, Justice Minister, Michael Masuta, said government was working on legislation to criminalize racism. Mbeki today called for the country to strengthen efforts to combat racism, as Angela Bolawana reports. President Abumbeki compared what he said in his State of the Nation address in 2000 with the current racial storm in the country. Mbeki was addressing the racism conference in a speech that sought to demonstrate that the current issues are nothing new. Earlier I referred to the racist comments made by Penny Sparrow about black monkeys only three months ago to illustrate the subjective racism which still clearly constitutes the mindset of some of our citizens. Fifteen years earlier, I drew attention to this very same phenomenon in my State of the Nation address in 2000, during which I reported that as government we had requested the Human Rights Commission, this Human Rights Commission, to convene the National Conference on Racism, which did indeed take place. The racist comment I quoted then was even more offensive than the one made by Penny Sparrow. Mbeki, who was often vilified in his time as president for being obsessed with racism, was almost in an I told you so mode when he quoted past statements both from himself and other people on racism and how he had been attacked at the time. He says the country has to be honest that there has not been speedy progress when it comes to issues on racism and sexism. He says an honest debate is important. This is important because it is only when we correctly define the problem and challenge that we face that we'll be able to to elaborate the proper responses and solutions. And we can only achieve such correct definition and therefore the right solutions through an open debate which allows for the expression of different and contending opinions. In addition to honest debate, Mbeki is arguing that a number of concrete steps have to be taken immediately. This includes strengthening Chapter 9 institutions such as the Human Rights Commission, strengthening the law and introducing some measures in schools. That we should strengthen the legal capacity of the state to act against racism, including its punishment of unacceptable hate language, with the necessary respect for the constitutionally protected freedom of speech. We should ensure that our school curricula from the lowest grade and the curricula in higher education inculcate in the young the values of non-racism and non-sexism and the celebration of our common humanity.
Mbeki says work still has to be done in reviewing policies and programs and why they have not eradicated the legacy of colonialism and apartheid as this affects the creation of a non-racist and non-sexist society. He also challenged the country to ask what can be done in treating the present situation as an emergency. And that report by Angela Bolawana. Now, yesterday, in preparation for this show, we spoke to Open Stellenbosch, who've now approached the courts in order to look at Afrikaans and whether it needs equal status in our schools. And is it putting black students at a disadvantage? Open Stellenbosch's spokesperson is Majalecha Matume. I would say there's been, you know, significant improvement in, in as far as laying the foundations for a country where policies and, and and values that guide policies in public institutions uh, are, are you know informed by a human rights approach. So as far as that is concerned, I think the foundation has been laid. But going beyond that, which is is the human are the human rights values that are enshrined in our constitution and as promoted, protected by and also protected by the Human Rights Commission, are they something that are the daily realities of the average South Africans? That question unfortunately the answer is no. I mean, some some could argue that that's a huge question just to be answered by by one commission, and it really needs to be a discussion and a debate among our broader society. How is your organisation perhaps helping to do that work? Yeah, actually, that's 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 the, that's the approach and, and our understanding of, of human rights is that it's not something that we can simply say, well, the courts should do this, but it's something that we can definitely say that the courts and institutions such as um, department that is tasked with, with, with that aspect of law in our country, they should run campaigns that try to ensure that there's a culture of constitutionalism in our everyday lives. And as far as that is concerned, that's what it's lacking. But our role has been to try and actually bridge that gap we understand that those institutions would not have as much reach as, as they would have a reach as far as policies are concerned, but they would not have reach as far as humanizing institutions. So, for instance, at Stellenbosch currently, we have a situation where uh, a woman was speaking on radio about rape culture, and she was suspended by the institution for speaking against rape culture that is incubated in the institution. So we still have a long way, and it's actually scary that an institution of higher learning would suspend somebody for speaking against rape culture. Open Stellenbosch's spokesperson is Majalecha Matume. Obanewa, some thoughts that you've had during this past hour? You know, I was just listening to you, the comments from the spokesperson of Open Stellenbosch, and I think something that's really important to talk about when we're considering issues of human rights is this issue of equivalency. I think sometimes when we want to talk about human rights, we want to act as if we're coming from the same historical position. 
The truth is that, in particular in a South African context, some people have been privileged over other people for a very long time. So when we go into discussions about things like the use of Afrikaans, I think there's a tendency for people to say, but we're all equal. It's one of the 11 official languages, etc., etc., and not recognizing the ways in which Afrikaans has historically been used to subjugate black people in this country. And so even as we have the conversation about human rights, whether it's about Afrikaans, whether it's about gender, whether it's about racism at large, we need to recognize we're not coming from a position of moral equivalency. Um, as Professor Vessels did, you have to locate yourself as part of the problem and as part of the remedy moving forward as well.